And welcome back to another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm a Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and my uh, returning guest, Stuart, Dr. Sorry, ding, Dr. Stuart Robbins. Hello. How are you doing, Stuart? Nice to have you back on after, oh, so many years. I know. It's almost as if you dropped me and not renewed my contract. Well, you just quit returning my emails. We, we, we had that little fight, so... I don't remember a fight. Uh, might have been somebody else, but yeah. So um, to, to review, you are the conspiracy skeptics astronomer royale. Yes. Yeah. The, the official auspicious title. The official astronomer of the conspiracy skeptic. How how are we doing on on finding that tenth planet and naming it after me? Uh not so good. Oh, all right. Well, keep at it. Yeah, budget cuts, you know. All right. And my salary increase. <laughs> right, so uh, you know, uh, you are uh, just I guess for people you know maybe who've only recently discovered the podcast, and there are there are one or two of those. Um, you are a astronomer, and you live in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Uh, for the next week and no, two weeks and a half. Oh, you're you're moving. I am moving to the lovely mountains of Lyons, Colorado. Wow. Okay. And you started off when the first time you were on this podcast, you were you were but a, a graduate student, right? Yes. Okay. And you were like just drawing circles around craters on Mars. Yes, I studied craters on Mars. Well, still study craters on Mars, but yes, that is what I was doing pretty exclusively when we first talked. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then eventually you, you got your you got your PhD. And what are you doing now? That's a very good question. And. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the arc of my career, but... You know. Yeah, I think, so, I, I, let's see, I'm studying craters on Mars, I'm studying craters on the Moon, I'm sometimes studying craters on Mercury, I'm also doing planning to figure out what observations the spacecraft New Horizons will be making starting in about 2015 through its uh, closest encounter with Pluto in mid-July of 2013. Did I say 2013? If I did, it's yeah. 2015. Early 2015 through its closest encounter with Pluto in July of 2015. And I'm also doing uh, simulations of Saturn's rings. Wow. So, so you are you are keeping busy. Yeah, you could say that. And yeah, that's why I took a two-hour nap before we, we had this little chat. Wow, okay. And uh, you, you also do a blog and a podcast called Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy. I do, and many, many of my listeners come to me through you. That's awesome, yeah. You, you guess, because you were at the, the recent Amazing Meeting, TAM, do they still give it a number, or is it just like TAM 2013 or something? It's a TAM in the year of our Lord 2013, yes. Okay, alright. Just, but you've been, you've been writing for Conservapedia as well, I, I can tell. <laughs> Yeah. Not quite. I haven't been there in a in a while. Okay. And uh so yeah, so um just I guess just to sort of roll it back a bit. Um okay, yeah. So you 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 do this podcast about uh uh about pseudo astronomy and and uh, the intersection of my podcast kind of with your podcast is you 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 delve into sort of uh conspiracy theories as well that, that involve um, heavenly 
objects. Yes, in the celestial realms. Yeah. Uh, so I think we've talked about the moon hoax. We talked about 2012 when it was an up-and-coming young whippersnapper. We talked about... Face on uh, Mars. Face on Mars a little bit, yeah. Um, I don't know. What else have we talked about? Um, Billy Meyer a little bit, the UFO guy. And I hear you click in, so you're probably looking at the episode list. So I'll keep muttering along. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just I'm just checking to make sure my audio it seems to be working. I had to I'm using an old laptop to record this, so because um, I don't know for some reason my my Skype just seems to crash when I'm uh, when I'm sort of voice chatting and, hmm. and it's very 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 mysterious. But it's one of those I haven't really used this laptop in I don't know like a year and a half. So it's like you you have 980 Windows updates. <laughs> Something like that. All right. Anyway, so um, well, because you know, the first thing I want to do is uh, talk to you a bit about the amazing meeting. Cause this is the second time you've been there, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. And, and you went last year, but you were you were just uh, sort of a groundling last year. You... Yes, I was a first timer. Okay. And then this year, you actually you 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 talk somebody into giving you like a what is it? What do they call it? A panel or a workshop or Oh, they have many things. They have workshops, and they have panels, and they have talks, and they have shows. Uh, so I did a workshop. Oh, okay. And uh, and you and it's another guy. Yes, uh, Brian Bonner. He's a local guy. Oh. Um, yeah, he does ghost stuff. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Hence the kind of why why the the, the uh, you guys should work together on this topic and the and the, and the topic of your 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 Tam workshop was it was called how your camera lies to you from ghosts to ufos a skeptic's guide to photography oh sweet yeah yeah because you, you you talk a lot about that on on your, your podcast itself yes. yeah well, a lot of stuff is image based you know, i'm sorry for the visually impaired and this is an audio podcast but a lot of stuff is visually based and a lot of quote-unquote evidence for paranormal stuff comes from still pictures or video or moving pictures because we don't really use videotape anymore. So um, understanding how different anomalies can come up is important because a lot of those anomalies are pointed to by the uninformed as evidence for a paranormal thingamajigger. Right. So from like, um, what do they call it? Like... um those flying rods on video. Yep. Yeah. Rods are bugs, basically. Right. But got... beca- yeah, but because of the way the uh, the video is recording, they look like rods just because the shutter speed is slow. Right. Well, there was one guy. A, a, a uh, you know, he taught English in Korea, so you 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 only get some of the uh, the, the the finer human beings who they go abroad and teach English. But um, he he was convinced that there was a race of shadow people, and you could only kind of see them in the corner of your eyes. Hmm. Which, we didn't cover that. Okay. Yeah. Well, we we didn't a, cover psychological phenomena. Yeah, it's about, it's about cameras, right? But um, yeah. So, um, and how did you find that? Was it because you you had like literally the first day, first morning slot, right? Yes, bright and early at eight a.m. on Vegas time. Third Vegas time on Thursday, 
and it was the very first event of well, very first official event uh, for anything Tam related this year. So we were at the top of all the schedules, which I think helped. Right. I, I'd uh, say I, yeah. I, I was a bit worried that it'd be like there'd be like two guys in there, and one guy's like, I heard there was like free beard grooming in here. Yeah, some of us were a little bit worried about that time slot. Um, and there were a lot of people who said, sorry, can't come. I'm going to be getting in that night. Uh, but that means, of course, they're missing all of the workshops instead of just mine. Um, well, mine and Brian's. So we did end up having a decent showing. Um, I was hoping for at least 50 people. Uh, the room held 352. Uh, not that I counted every chair, but <laughs> I, I did some simple math. It was two large columns of 11 columns each and 16 rows. So it was uh, 352 chairs. And the room looked fairly full, good. Uh, which, which was good. Um, unfortunately, people tend to sort of hug the edges of, of, column, of blocks of chairs and they leave blank spaces. So I actually did take a picture of the crowd about half an hour into the 90-minute workshop. And there were 164 people, which was still better than the belonging workshop, which we were up against, which had about 20 to 30 people. Wow, wow. So, yeah, because well, you, you'd think something like blogging would be kind of a bit, uh, you know, something we, we all think we can do, right? So that would have... Some of us hope we can, anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, people were there because, you know, heard your name it was an interesting topic and stuff like that but but it was it was the first um i mean this is the, the your first sort of workshop you gave so i mean they're going to give you probably the worst possible slot to begin with and see how you do that right yeah well yeah they could have put us up against science-based medicine for example which <laughs> and there's there's no way that you can really compete with steve novella that's true it's like yeah well the uh yeah the all-star game so we'll put you up against the all-star game and see how you do and yeah, but you know, it, I sort of, I did have some issues with the workshops this year. I mean, I don't know how, I, if you're going to get in trouble, but by me talking about this. No, 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 no. Go ahead. You're, you're you want to be invited back next year, right? Yeah. Well, because okay. I, I, I really want to give them my money next year. So this is the conspiracy skeptic show. So let's get into some conspiracy now. Uh, so, I don't, so the the idea of a workshop. And when I had talked with DJ Grothy, who's the president of the James Randi Education Foundation, which puts on TAM, um, when I had talked with him about doing a workshop, he emphasized many times to me that a workshop needs to be interactive because it's a workshop. It's not a lecture. It's not a talk. It's a workshop. And workshop, just in the name itself, generally implies that it's going to be interactive. You're going to do stuff and not just sit there and be spoken to. So Brian and I did try to work in some interaction. Like we didn't have people in breakout groups doing something and coming back in 10 minutes to do uh, to talk about the results. Um, there was one workshop, I think, that did that, uh, workshop 3A, physics, metaphysics, and something else. Um, but we you know, had some audience participation, and we asked them what they thought was going on in some pictures. So we did try to work that in. There were other workshops, though, that just were not – in any way, straight shape, or form, by any stretch of the imagination, were not interactive. Um, I mean, the science-based medicine workshop, for example, it has huge names and skepticism, but 
it was a four-part lecture by four different MDs. And it was like, this is not a workshop. This is a lecture. Right. So if I could change one thing about, I guess, the way they bill stuff next year, not bill as in like charge money, but bill as in the way they advertise, I would strongly suggest to the JREF, and I've put it in my uh, feedback, that they have workshops and they have lectures. And they make it clear that this is a workshop and this is a lecture. Because otherwise, you know, it's it's false advertising almost. That's true. If I if I gave a workshop, I'd I'd want kind of a format where I could like divide the crowd into shirts and skins. Yeah, you want them to do something. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> even if it's just laugh when you tell jokes fairly often. Like you know, we worked in humor and our our stuff to try to keep people awake at eight a.m. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's cracking me awake at 8 a.m. But, um, yeah, it was just, uh, I'm not saying that we did a great job interacting with people, but we had some at least. Whereas other stuff, at least half of the workshops were not workshops. They were 90-minute lectures. Right, yeah. Now, I mean, I found if you're living on the East Coast and then you, because Vegas is like three hours time difference, that you mm-hmm. you, you get out there and, and you're, you are instantly a morning person. You're, you're up at like five in the morning, and which it, I mean, assuming you're not like spending the night before, like like drinking till, till all hours, but it, it, Ve- that. yeah, but Ve- Vegas in the morning time is like 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 seven in the morning or eight in the morning is really really pleasant. You'd like like when I was staying on the Strip, you know, just like about eight in the morning, there's like nobody's really awake, and the, I mean the casinos are all open, but it's just very quiet, and you walk around, and it's 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 quite it's quite peaceful. So I, I recommend that people as well like. But I mean, down at the South Point, which is pretty far from the Strip, it's nothing really to walk around the hotel right. and see. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, right. So, um, and uh, well, what did you think about this year for the amazing meeting in, in in general? Better than the year before, or? It's hard for me to compare uh, because I approached them very differently this year. Okay. Uh, so last year, I had never been to what I would call a conference for fun. I'd only been to conferences for work. So I was used to going to maybe a third of the talks and then doing other work and, and basically a very different way that you should approach TAM. So I missed a lot of interesting talks last year because I had that sort of uh, mindset and approach. So my mindset this year was I'm going to go to – pretty much every single talk that I can, which was, you know, I probably went to about 90% of the talks. And, um, I mean, there were there were some that I did not go to. Um, and, uh, well, obviously, if I went to 90%, there were some that I didn't go to. <laughs> so, uh, maybe I didn't spend long enough in my nap. Uh, anyway, so I went to the talks. Um, I went to about half of the workshops. And I did go to all of the evening shows. And my other goal this year was to be much more social. So spend more time in the Del Mar Lounge, which is the go-to place for TAM people hanging out, and spend more time just meeting people and talking and, of course, handing out business cards for the podcast. Okay. So, so I probably handed out maybe 150 or so. Wow, okay. And, and you, you brought many of your famous chocolate confectionaries? Uh, I brought two pounds of candied pecans, five pounds of 
mint chocolate fudge and 140 key lime melt away cookies. <laughs> I think I probably brought a bunch of weirdo Canadian cookies and stuff like that. I think when I went to went to Vegas. Yeah, I think I got. I actually went through almost everything. There was about you know, half a dozen or maybe a dozen pieces of fudge left, and that was it. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, I figure it's a way to make people pretend to like me. Now, feed now, them. Feed them and they will come. Now, I, 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 this, this is, you know, my peeps out there truly let me down. Not not to start lecturing you all, but don't I always say, if you ever meet one of my, you know, one of my guests at, like, the amazing meeting or something like that, you know, buy him a drink, buy her a drink. And, and did anybody offer you anything, Stuart? I think one or two people offered me a drink, but I don't drink, so. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, no. See, well, I, I got the impression, like, no, but people are like, yeah, heard you on the conspiracy skeptic, whatever. Oh, okay. Well, I don't think that actually the people who offered me a drink were from your podcast. They were other people, so. Oh. They're still on the hook. Oh, okay. <laughs> they need yeah. to bring me a good chocolate bar. <laughs> Although next week or next week next year I should have you know, a nice bulging pecs and six pack abs so I won't be able to eat a chocolate bar it'll have to be I guess a chocolate protein bar or something right for people who listen to uh, cognitive dissonance uh, who they were guests on this podcast as well it's Tom and Cecil um, they, they they mentioned you on an episode of uh, you, you wrote an email to them something about you were laughing too hard or something well bench pressing and yeah so the issue was I listened to maybe a dozen podcasts or so and I was running out of them because I had just you know, just as in um I guess very early May started to seriously attempt to lose weight again uh, you know, work cardio you know, walking in the morning biking in the afternoon doing weights etc and I don't like to listen to you know, music, you know, soundtracks, whatever, while doing that because I find it does not pass the time for me. Okay. But I find that podcasts do. So I was rapidly running out of podcasts. So I solicited my listeners of my podcast for stuff that I could listen to, stuff that they enjoyed that um, was sort of skeptical in nature that um, they would they'd recommend. And of the maybe half a dozen suggestions, I ended up um, sticking with three. So I added skeptics with a K, the reality check, and cognitive dissonance. So in different countries, uh, reality check is Canadian. Yeah. Yeah, go you guys. So <laughs> you, you must know them, right? Because there are yeah. only a dozen people in Canada. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I had uh, had one of the, I, 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 you know, I think you moved on, but um, their, their original, uh, sort of, their original leader, um, yeah, I had him on you know, years ago. He did the, uh, um, was it the secret? No, it was not the secret tax. The secret Jewish tax on food. Yeah, I think something along those lines. The protocols of the elders of Zion and the secret tax on secret Jewish tax on food and stuff like that. Yeah, isn't he in uh, California now? Yeah, he I, just he just came on again because their current leader was uh, in Europe for a few days. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's found. Some moderate successes, like a, a app startup guy. App startup guy. Yeah, like not <laughs> not not making fake block. But uh, uh, Jonathan Abrams. There we yes, go. Yes, Episode sorry. fourteen. <laughs> sorry, Jonathan. If you're still listening to this podcast, but <laughs> you know that's the problem. When you, that that's 
what happens when you get old, Stuart, is you just <laughs> you can't remember a damn thing. Who am I talking to? Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so skeptical decay, reality check, and uh, cognitive dissonance, and so um, I don't know. For some reason, I, I like the cognitive dissonance one the most, probably because it is the opposite of how I attempt to act in public as in they are the most irreverent people that you will ever listen to uh, <laughs> cursing and calling people names and morons and idiots and just making fun of them because they're morons and idiots like michelle bachman and they had a field day with her for a while and rick perry rick santorum all that other stuff so it was like this is the exact opposite of how i talk but it's how it's it's funny <laughs> And so I would be listening to their stuff and I'd be doing it while I was working out, including doing stuff like bench pressing, which for those of you who have never taken gym class and never attempted to lift weights, bench pressing is where you are lying down on a bench. You have an Olympic bar, which is 45 pounds. You have weights, on, hopefully you have weights <laughs> in addition to the, to the, I do know, I have a friend who can't lift the bar, but <laughs> yeah, you can start off at the bar. Yeah, so you're starting off with at least 45 pounds, then you have you know, weights on either side, and uh, it's on a rack above you, and you lift it up, and then you you, know, it, you bring it down to you know, just above your chest, then push it back up, and you do that, pressing it, and you're pressing yourself into the bench, I guess, because Newton, equal, opposite, force, etc. Anyway, so I was doing this, and they had another one of their irreverent moments, which is every moment, and I started to laugh, and I almost dropped the bar on my neck, so... What I, what I like about that podcast, it's like, finally a podcast that just, you know, that makes it okay to laugh at female circumcision. You know, it's just, like, the things they make jokes about are like, you, you, can't, you can't possibly make a joke about sacrificing a baby. Oh, they, they do. And, and Yeah, they, it's like, they just went there. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, if you don't laugh about it, you're going to cry about yeah, it. Yeah, it's not, it's not offensive. There's nothing about it that's like offensive but it, it, yeah it's just it's they've they've locked into this sort of way of making fun of the most awful awful things mm -hmm. without being offensive it's like um you, you remember rich rich from um uh, dogma free america yes i hear that he's doing some uh freelance legal advice podcasts oh. wink wink nudge nudge wink to... wink yeah. Some of my listeners for a previous oh, episode. Oh yeah, yeah, that. But uh, yeah, yeah, because it was similar. I mean, the Dogma Free America covered the similar topics, but um, you know, yes. cut. You know, they they tended to deal with these horrible tragedies with a kind of a sense of humor, but it was just it was much more reserved and kind of. Yeah, it was just like this is truly awful kind of stuff, as opposed to we're going to make fun of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they were very good at the you know just the inflection in their voice conveying the the horror and the disgust and and and, and just how inconceivable it is. Whereas whereas was Tom and Cecil, I mean, they just the gloves are off. But yeah, yeah, it's a really good podcast. But I I, I did have I I did have to bitch slap them down because they referred to you as dumbass's friend when it's pretty clear dumbass is your friend. Well, so I wrote them the email, um, I'll, I'll admit it, as hopefully I was hoping that they would read it on the air and mention my podcast because I put it in there because um, I was 
because they tend to do plugs. Right. And I had listened to maybe the first 20-ish episodes or so, and Dumbass had written in a lot, and they were reading a lot of email from him. So I put it down as a PS, by the way, oh. I know this guy that you like, therefore plug my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've had him on on you know, this episode or that episode. Oh. And that was before I got to the point where they had you on, and I had, hadn't realized that you had had them on. And otherwise, if I had, I would have said, and Carl Namer. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, I apologize for that. That's all right. Okay. So, uh, the, the amazing meeting. Uh, well, what was kind of the, I mean, besides the awesome lunches they lay out, what was, what was the high point of, uh, for you of the amazing meeting? Uh, not falling asleep during my talk <laughs> and, and having everything work. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's And good. having people come. Um. I, yeah, so if you ignore the workshop that I did um, and then all of the accolades of people coming up and saying, great job, afterwards, um, it's hard to say. Palm, I would almost say possibly uh, the evening shows in terms – well, not, not the magic show first. The magic mayhem thing on uh, on Saturday. I did not think that was a very good magic show. Um, but – I thought that the Satiristas was very good. I thought that the Brian and Baxter's show on Thursday night was very good, despite the incredibly embarrassing photo that they showed of me with uh, that had been photoshopped, jobbed, going on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, those were highlights. Um, of course, meeting listeners, the podcast. I have to say that I'm contractually obligated. Um, I don't know. It was. It's really hard to pick out individual things. Unless they rise really, really high above something else or unless they're really, really different from everything else. Because it really is, as they bill it, the TAM experience thing. Right. It really is just this whole thing that you're immersed in for, what is it, five, four and a half days? Well, it depends on how long you go, but at least three or four to five days. You are there doing stuff. If you go to everything from 7.30 a.m. until, you know, 1 p.m. or 11, 11 to, sorry, 1 p.m. until, so, backtrack. <laughs> you are doing stuff from 7.30 a.m. until about 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. And if you stay drinking in the Del Mar talking with people, you can go much later. I mean, some people, I don't know how they sleep because I, I don't think some people do sleep during TAM because they're, if they're not at, the TAM stuff from 7.30 breakfast until the end of the 11 o'clock show or 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. pen donut and bacon party, then they're in the Del Mar lounge drinking and talking with other people. So, or gambling. So it's, right. it is it is a whole experience and you get to the point where it all just sort of blends together into one thing. Did you, did you get to gamble much? Uh, I could have. Um, I, I just I don't do any of the Vegas vices. You know, I don't yeah. drink. I don't gamble. I don't whore myself. At, well, no, I don't get whores to. <laughs> I don't whore myself out or or bring in the whores. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, I um. Well, I mean, when I went to the amazing meeting, uh, a few years ago, I had never even been to Vegas. I I, I made sure I like stayed on the strip for a few days but and then you know before i sort of decamped and then moved to the to the south point so you know, my, my advice is like if you've never been to vegas then then 
you know, make like a week of it and do the do the traditional strip stuff, and then then head head to South Point. Because yeah, because once you're at South Point, it's just right from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. It's all tam 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 tam, and there's very little kind of outside of the hotel that you can kind of walk to. But you can organize like little cab trips and stuff like that with right. And a few of the Denver area people did. Um, yeah, they went to Caesar's Palace for the fifty five dollar buffet. I think one night. Oh. Um, I didn't go to that because that was the pre-first night, and I had arrived late and had already eaten. But, yeah, um, I also, I recommend getting there at least Thursday, um, if not Wednesday, because that really lets you sort of acclimate, sort of like if you buy a new fish, mm. you leave it in the bag and, you know, sort of dip the bag into the fish tank for an hour or so to let it acclimate, and then you put it in. Or yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming that that's what you do. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> so yeah. I've been told. So yeah, it's it's a good thing to acclimate to that because then it's just all tam all day. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think when I, the first day I was in Vegas, like I had a headache for most of the day because it's just it's pretty overwhelming. So yeah, bring mm-hmm. bring painkillers if if you can if you're Canadian, bring codeine with you. So. Plan. Oh yeah, because we can't get that that prescription here. Yeah. And uh, you should plan on not sleeping. I learned that I actually sort of can function on an average of four hours of sleep for a few days. Wow. Which I did not think was possible. Yeah. No. Less people think this is just sort of a contractual obligation podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Conspiracy wise, now. is it not true they have recently found a uh, crashed UFO on Mars? Uh, who told you? I don't know. I was looking at this. There's a uh, what is what is this website? UFO sightings daily, station on Mars or something. There, there's some. They found some spaceship-like structure on Mars. Are you talking about the blog post I wrote about two weeks ago? Well, yeah, you also, <laughs> you know, Mr. Buzzkill, you also sort of covered it. So, but uh, yeah, what, what what is the deal on this um, this obviously spaceship-looking thing on Mars, which seems to be actually more massive than several craters near it? Um, yeah. So this was um, pareidolia, <laughs> as most things on Mars that are paranormally claimed. Are. Uh, this was an issue where someone was looking around on Google Earth with the Mars data set and found what they thought was, um, let's see, it's some sort of oblong geometric shape that was a, a positive feature, as in it, was a, it came above the ground as opposed to going into the ground. And they said, well, this clearly is a spaceship and posted it online and... Various people said, oh, yeah, and I can see the landing gear, and I can see wheels, and I can see living quarters, and all this other stuff. And um, then Sharon Hill posted it on her um, now, I guess, very popular Doubtful News. She was both a panelist and a workshopper and a speaker at TAM this year, not that I'm jealous. And uh, so she posted it there, and I looked at it and was like, no, that's a pit crater. So... (laughs) So it's not it's not actually kind of like a little hill or mountain or something. It's something. Right. It's 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 uh it's a depression. Right. So without any context, it's pretty much 
it's very, very difficult to tell if something is a positive or a negative feature. You have to use shadows. But if you don't have a feature that you know is a positive or negative relief feature and you don't know from what direction the sun is, you can't tell the way it's supposed to look. So the human eye, depending on how you orient it, is going to see it as a positive or negative feature. So I found this area because fortunately this person had also posted a video zooming into it. So I roughly knew where it was and someone else had posted the coordinates so I could find it. I looked at the very high resolution pictures that we have of it at maybe five or six meters per pixel. So the size of a, of a very large computer desk, for example, per pixel. And I looked at craters around it and was like, okay, I know that craters go into the surface. This has shadows on the same sides that the craters do. This is a negative feature. So then it's, okay, well, what is it? Well, looking around, it is on the vast region of the planet known as uh, Tharsis, which is this giant volcanic region. It's where the largest volcanoes are on the planet. And the entire area is just littered with volcanic collapse features. So if you have lava running through a tube underground, the lava source goes away, um, the lava evacuates, that is now a hollow tube underground, and given enough time, it can collapse. And so we get these grobin, these collapse features, caused by these volcanic tubes. And we also get, if they just collapse into a hole as opposed to the entire length of the tube, then we get what we call pit craters, P-I-T craters. We see these all over Hawaii, for example, so we know what they are. And if you look at the broader picture and the context of the region, this is just a grobin or a very um, elongated um, pit crater because it it's maybe four times as wide as it is um, deep. No, deep isn't the right word four times as long as it in one direction as it is in the other direction. So you could call it a pit crater. You could call it a very, very short grob, and it's up to you, really. Wow. Now, what about what about the, the squirrel on Mars? Oh, that one's real. <laughs> I love that some people are like, like well, no, it's a, it's a real squirrel, but it's not like it evolved on Mars. NASA just brought it there and, like, chucked it out onto the you know the martian surface to see how long a squirrel could live and they didn't really want to tell anybody because you know PETA would like be all over them like <laughs> humane traps or whatever yeah this is like this, is, this that's a pretty long row to hoe <laughs> versus like it's just a rock that looks like a squirrel but it's 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 pretty good though. Like like if you sort of like look at it, it's not to zoom in, but there's that picture of it where it's just sort of, um, you know, um, not 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 cropped. It's like, yeah. I mean, you would if you were looking at that picture, you go, hey, look, there's a squirrel. You'd be like, oh, okay, well, okay, maybe it is a rock that looks like a squirrel. But yeah, well, as we showed a lot of very good pareidolia examples during the workshop, so they're out there, and some stuff really does look like other stuff, but. It just looks like it. No, but, there there is not a squirrel or a petrified squirrel on Mars. Well, you know, one time, um, like where I live, it's sort of bit under a flight path, and uh, for, for Toronto's Pearson Airport, and and um, I'm sort of walking along, and I, I look up, and I, it, to me, it looks like um, you know, one of those Osprey, those U.S. Marine. They're kind of like a helicopter plane. You know, they sort of land like a helicopter or take off like a helicopter, and then then the then the wings sort of rotate and they become like a big propeller-driven plane. 
Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm walking along. I look up, and it, to me, it looks like wow. There's like an osprey kind of like sort of on some sort of like you know, little helicopter approach. And then I'm like, why? Wait, why is there an osprey in Toronto, Canada? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And then as my eyes sort of shifted, I realized, oh no, this is just sort of like a dash, you know, a dash eight, like a Bombardier kind of propeller commuter plane. But but just for some reason, just at this weird lighting and weird angle, it looked like my mind just resolved it. Oh, it's an osprey, you know. So yeah, you just you just never know sometimes what you're looking at. Well, and I had the same issue when I first went off to college. Was almost every other person that I saw walking down the street looked like someone that I knew from high school, and I knew that wasn't the case because I was one of three people from my high school class to go to the college I went to, and yet they still looked like that. So it's it's pareidolia. Uh, you know, in Korea, it's, there's this thing where it's like, um, you know, like you, if there's another like foreigner coming at you on the street, it, 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 you panic because you don't know what to do. It's like, you know, do I say hi to this guy? He's a stranger. I wouldn't say hi to him back in Canada. But, you know, but, uh, you know, are we just recognizing each other? Hey, you're white, too. I am white. How's that going for you? You know, there's just this awful, like, you just don't know what to do. So if you kind of see a whitey off in the distance walking towards you, you do whatever you can to change the side of the street, go on the other side of the street. So you don't have to pass another like white person. And, 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 uh, and they discovered that, that some Koreans at a distance look Italian. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> and there's not quite pareidolia, but just saying, just putting that out there. But uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> so, and now you've, you've got, you've got some other project like cooking. Cooking. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, besides my baking in the kitchen, I, I bake ideas in my head, and some of them are better and some of them are worse. And one of the worst ideas is I tend to have this sort of, um, I don't know, weird fascination, like watching a train wreck of reading the RSS feed for the WorldNet Daily website. How, how do you describe WorldNet Daily? Because it's the description that I really like. Oh, yeah. If, um, if you're thinking the world has suddenly become too rational, it, it's your go-to source for uh, to, just to bring you back. And, yep, world's, you know, just fucking crazy. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was actually banned from the <laughs> WorldNet Daily comment section. Um, maybe... What did you do now? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I posted this link to this gay porn website, and they're, <laughs> they're a little against the gays. Uh, no, um, the issue was uh, they, they were writing, or they had reported a story on, uh, and I'm, I found a version of from a, an actual real news source. Um, so this was in August of last year, where the case was this girl was being raised by two lesbian mothers as opposed to lesbian dads, I guess, uh, two lesbian mothers and they had separated. One of the mothers became an ex gay and became an evangelical Christian and left the country. The other one, the other mother still had custody and it was sole custody of the girl. And, 
the issue was that there was a pastor or a minister, sorry, an Amish Mennonite minister who had helped the non-custodial mother kidnap the girl and transport her through a series of other churches to Nicaragua. And so the World Net Daily article was reporting that the minister was on trial for kidnapping and facilitation of you know, child trafficking mm-hmm. and, um, let's see, intent to obstruct parental rights, you know, that kind of stuff. And ba- ba- Basically made-up stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I responded to this article. Most people were saying, oh, God bless this person and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I responded to the article saying, good. Yeah. He kidnapped her yeah. and transported her out of the country. So yes, that. he should be prosecuted. Yeah. And there were many people who responded to me, including one person calling me a pedophile. <laughs> and and then my comment was deleted and I can no longer post. I can't even like upvote or downvote other people's comments. So I still would read these um, these stories and just sort of kind of be like, Okay, what are the crazies thinking about the latest? And sometimes that, you know, the stories would be fine, but it's like, okay, what are the crazy commenters thinking about the latest? And finally, I was like, okay, I have these conversations amongst the various people in my head when I read these. Let's put them out there on the intertubes. So last week it was, I started a new blog entitled WND Watch, as in World Net Daily Watch. Right, okay where I write out these conversations I have in my head. (laughs) So it's, you know, I I only have maybe 10 posts up now, but I seem to be writing like a couple a day, really, because they're they're kind of fast, and it's really just commenting on, look what the crazies are doing right now. So um, let's see. So for example, I put up um, a short post on, Saying so, it's just like even in the the way they write their headlines, they they skew them towards this incredibly ultra fundamentalist conservative Christian ideals. So instead of writing, for example, um, let's see, when Rick Perry signed the new very restrictive abortion law in Texas into law uh, last week, most news places were reporting it at is. Um, that the headlines were abortion foes succeed in state houses or abortion restrictions become law in Texas. Governor Perry signs sweeping abortion restrictions and stuff like that. World Net Daily had their headline as protecting babies who can feel pain. <laughs> and it's just like, what? what? Right, <laughs> and, the, yeah. and, and then there was, let's see, um, Let's see. There was an article about the stand your ground laws. So this is a really big deal in the states right now because of the uh, George Zimmerman uh, jury not guilty verdict in the killing of Trayvon Martin. And so this issue of should you be allowed legally is a legal defense to say this guy was threatening me. I stood my ground and used deadly force. Is that should that be legally protected? And people are saying in the wake of this verdict, no, you should do everything you can to avoid that situation. Um, WorldNet Daily basically had an article about it. And while the article was somewhat 
measured, just reporting on stuff. It was the commenters who were just posting all this anti-black stuff. Right, right. And it was, let's see, I mean, there was one guy who said, makes me laugh that people of color can find the time of energy to go out and protest, but it is inconvenient to obtain an ID to vote. Or there was a post by uh, Barack D. Fraud, um, <laughs> who commented... What's he driving at? Yeah, I wonder. He commented, just went to the full article. The comment section was full of whiny blacks containing or complaining about Stand Your Ground Law. It was sickening. And it's just like, you know, I read these, and I'm just shaking my head. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to put them out there on a blog that someone might actually read. And so far, I've had maybe 25 readers. But you know, maybe with your podcast, I'll get another 25. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely, definitely link to that. And there's, there's, yeah, you know, I have one on homeopathy, and the commenters are like, "But homeopathy works." And it's like, no, it doesn't. And actually, I just had my, um, I just did an update on a post um, where, uh, so WorldNet Daily tends to not always report um, factual things. Like sometimes they just make stuff up to rile up their base. <laughs> Or they make stuff up to rile up their base that possibly somehow later can come to be true. So there's an article that they posted from an anonymous source last night that claimed that it that President Obama had a secret negotiating deal with the Palestinians and Israelis that they were going to that Jerusalem or Israel or whatever was going to give up the Temple Mount area during this negotiation. So you know one of the most sacred sites. Mm-hmm. And, three world religions. They, Israel is going to supposedly give this up uh, to the Palestinians for peace. And I was just like, okay, this might be true, but given the source, given the anonymity, given that I can't find this anywhere else, and given the website that it's on, it's probably not true. You know, I, I'll reserve judgment. I'll wait a month and see if this actually comes out on any real news site. But I was posting about this, and there was one person who posted, and I actually kind of agreed with them. Uh, they said a Palestinian negotiator leaked the details of an alleged U.S. plan. Gee, you think he might have had an ulterior motive and just maybe lied about what the U.S. plan was to derail talks before they start. <laughs> Don't get wrapped up around the axle until you hear the plan from someone in the U.S. authorized to speak about it. So, you know, that... That was like, I actually agree with this commenter. Right. And you know, I copied and pasted the, the quote on the blog. And then this morning, I went to the comments because this, this article was getting like comments every couple seconds. And this morning, there were almost 400 of them. This particular comment, though, was not there. <laughs> um, there was one comment that had been removed due to moderation. <laughs> and it was this comment. Mm. But that didn't stop a lot of people... Um, commenting to them that on any normal website would have had their comments be removed, like the guy who called me a pedophile. So, like, for example, um, there was Les, Les Legato who replied, starting out with, you're a shill for jihad and a liar. And that comment just goes downhill from there and has 22 upvotes at the moment. So this is sort of the kind of site that WorldNet Daily is. And I know a lot of... Um, more sane people probably don't read it. But I think that ignoring the fact that millions of people do read it and so being um, ignorant 
of or naive, not naive, you know, just being ignorant, remaining ignorant of what these people think does a disservice to anyone who wants to sort of understand people, especially non-skeptics, because this site is incredibly conspiratorial, um, which is probably one reason why you might like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're big on, you know, GMO is bad kind of stuff. They're big on um, homeopathy. Is anything big drug, big pharma is bad, all of that stuff. Um, so I just thought that I would put my thoughts out there. I'm not sure if I'll keep the blog up. I hope I do at the moment. As I said, I've kept it up a few days and I've done more than one post a day. They're fairly short. They're also not nearly as calm and measured as my normal stuff. So people might find the tone of voice <laughs> a little different if they're used to me. Um, you know, I, I sort of put it out there. I, I, now say this blog is political, this blog is anti-religious, this blog is highly opinionated, although I do keep the language you know, rated PG or so. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah you, you have a, uh, I'd almost call it a unique talent, that uh, you, you, you do have an ability to um, spend a lot of time putting up with the crazies to kind of uh, uh, get, you know, Bring the the rational take. Uh, you know, you, you spend endless hours listening to um, what's what's that, what's that what's that crazy radio show? Coast to coast AM. <laughs> yes, thank you. Coast to coast, and uh, even um, Alex Sakaris, his uh, yeah. skeptico, but not to be confused as an actual skeptical podcast. He's, yes, the S K E P T I K O because yeah. he spells it every episode. <laughs> yeah, there's a guy. Who believes that uh, in uh, near-death experiences, and and he he sort of they call it the freak freak magnetism or crank magnetism, where he sort of you know well because they're repressing all this stuff about you know psychic mediums and and um, near-death experiences. Wow, they seem to be repressing all this stuff about 9/11 truthers and UFOs, and he's he's just kind of expanded his. His fellow traveler uh, approach. Yeah, he's, he's branched into UFOs. He's gone from sort of the straight-up psychics to constant, focusing a lot on uh, near-death experiences, but also he's gone into the UFOs. He's gone into communicating, like, psychic telecommunication with animal kind of stuff. It's He's he's really kind of crazy. He's, got, he's big on quantum weirdness stuff. Yeah. Um, I actually have have more difficulty listening to Alex lately because stuff is just the same thing over and over again. Whereas coast to coast usually mixes that up a little bit. And, um, even world net daily just has a variety of nut jobs all the time. But Alex Securus is really a one trick pony. Yeah. It's he, he makes the same you know, half a dozen basic mistakes in every single episode and rants against materialists every single episode it's just it's very disingenuous which is weird considering that he's the one who always says i'm perfectly willing to have a dialogue with the skeptics that's what this thing is supposed to be a dialogue with the skeptics and true believers and bridging the gap and and it's like well that's a lie because you know i've posted about you on my blog you came on my blog and said let's dialogue about this and he does have a little bit of a southern twang, so I'm not just making fun. <laughs> Southerners are him. Right. But he's like, let's dialogue about this. Let's talk about this. And and I'm like, great. Tell me when. 
<laughs> and nothing ever came of it. it. Never did, yeah. Yeah, so it's just, yeah, I find him a really obnoxious prick. Yeah, I think mean, one of his fatal flaws is he sort of he he it's it's like um it's like well no he's big into like the whole idea of like you know consciousness is not just brain there must be there has to be something else and, yeah and, and and he thinks because uh you know people who think it's brain plus something else get together and have conferences and they all agree therefore you know therefore the scientific consensus is that it has to be brain plus something else where you know where it's sort of like you know because a bunch of bigfoot researchers get together and all agree that there is bigfoot you know therefore the scientific consensus is bigfoot is real you know, he doesn't sort of seem to understand that yeah i mean there can be a small core of and even fairly legitimate researchers who might believe x but that doesn't necessarily mean the consensus that there's a much wider body of scientists you have to kind of can convince right he that's one of the 10 things that i point out that someone compiled on his rational wiki page of he confuses argument from authority with scientific consensus if you listen to pretty much any single one of his podcast episodes, he will say that, but the the skeptics don't listen to these people, and he lists about half a dozen people who are highly credentialed scientists and researchers and know what they're doing. Yeah. And it's like, I don't care about half a dozen people. I could name half a dozen highly credentialed scientists who know what they're doing who are complete morons or who have said things or done things or believed in things that are completely wrong my go-to example is isaac newton who believed wholeheartedly in alchemy and i you know, Stephen novella's go-to example is was it linus pauling who believed in the helative powers of vitamins of negative mega doses of vitamin c it's like these are brilliant people but they're wrong on some things. And yet Alex said, you know, she treats them as highly credentialed scientists and researchers. <laughs> so therefore, they can't be wrong. I mean, and with the near-death experience stuff, I mean, he, the biggest thing for me is that, okay, let's say every single thing is true. These people did have these experiences. There is no possible way to show that they were recorded and that they actually happened and were recorded while the brain was dead and weren't made up in the brain afterwards. And he just, he it's like he can't go there. Even if someone mentions it, it's like he didn't hear it and goes on to something else. Yeah. And, eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, so he's sort of the... Um... You know, he, he just he just keeps. You can't understand that the, just the very careful, you know, you know, you're interesting, but you, you know, you you've you've reached far too far with that with that data. You know, you have to, you know, slowly build your case over over years and stuff like that. And and he just sort of sees that 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 you know natural sort of 
cautious scientific approach where you know you now you you've gone too far you've reached too far with being being like you know stuck in the paradigm kind of thing you know right it's like he wants to jump right to that even alexander book proof of heaven kind of thing yes exactly and he just wants to you know have these few anecdotal things and be like all right therefore this as opposed to well let's sort of systematically approach this and show one thing at a time and build up to that picture that you want he doesn't get it he just does not get it exactly before before you wrap up i just uh, bring it back to the whole astronomy exposing pseudo astronomy thing what um what, what's the next big thing that's going to kill us all um i'm still not sure in terms well, of the, as in well 20, the, what the popular thing is, yeah, well, yeah. 20, uh, 2012 is over. Is there in the, that red meteor thing? Well, I don't know. That didn't kill us or something. Is it? Was there? Is there something else out there going to kill us? I am sure someone will think of something. But as to something that has caught on to the popular meme to the level that uh, Planet X did in 2003 or uh, whatever did in 2012. There isn't anything yet, so it's still sort of a wait-and-see approach. I'm sure that Planet X will be a part of it. I'm sure that a galactic alignment will be a part of it. Um, I'm sure that the sun will be a part of it. But what specifically it is or what they're going to leap off of, uh, I don't know yet. Okay, so it's, it's kind of it's quiet. Kind of quiet for now. Maybe a bit too quiet. <laughs> You are the conspiracy skeptic. All right. Okay. On that happy note, so uh, you are Stuart Robbins, Doctor Doctor Stu, and Doctor uh, Stuart Robbins, B.S., M.S., and Ph.D. Awesome. We all know what that stands for, right? Yeah. Uh, Doctor Philosophy. Yeah. Bullshit. Pile higher and deeper. Yeah. Pile higher and deeper. Right. And uh, right. And then so your your blog is exposing pseudo astronomy. And I probably don't have to give people these these sorts of things because they, uh, you're 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 hard linked right on the on the side of my webpage. I'm sure. But well, uh, not everyone goes to the show notes. In fact, very few people go to the show notes. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah but um. Well, so the it, new blog is wndwatch.wordpress.com. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, are you going to be doing any, because uh, you like to do those uh, uh, Skeptic Camp things? Any Skeptic Camps coming up? Uh, the Colorado season of Skeptic Camps is pretty much over, I think. Um, so I'm, as I mentioned at the very beginning, I'm kind of involved in moving right now, but um, then I have a conference right after I move uh, in where is it? Flagstaff, um, Arizona. So that's another science thing. Um, and then in September, I will be at the TELUS Science Museum in South Carolina. Is it South Carolina? One of the Carolinas. I should probably look that up. Um, TELUS Science Museum. That is in Georgia. All right. I'm going to the East Coast. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, it's Georgia. Huh, who knew? <laughs> I'm going to the East Coast um, at some point in, okay. in September um, to talk. Actually, it's going to be a form of the uh, TAM workshop. So it's okay. uh, the same topics, uh, the, the how your camera lies to you thing. Um, I asked them when they first asked me if I'd like to go um, or if I'd you know, do it. I, they asked me, 
what I wanted to talk about. And I said, well, do you want it to be a science talk about my research stuff or do you want it to be based on the skeptic outreach stuff I do? And apparently there was just some hustle and bustle, quick turn around, let's talk in private and then turn back to him kind of thing. And okay. they said, oh, let's, let's have you talk about skeptic stuff. And I said, okay, well, what's it going to be? And I listed you know, half a dozen things. They said, okay, let's do the image stuff. So, yes. Okay. Long story short, or short story long. All right. So if and now enough people do see you at a conference, no, I, I I realize people, especially Vegas, you know, it's a expensive trip and the, there's conference fees and people don't necessarily have a extra cash these days to throw around, you know, Amen. Let, let alone on someone like you or me, right? So, but uh, yeah, so so um, so that that said, but if if somebody is like feeling extra generous, what what could they possibly buy you at? Uh, uh, they um, see you at a conference. Uh, a good chocolate bar. Bring good None chocolate. of that Hershey's crap. <laughs> Nigel, just <laughs> no, forgive, forgive me, Nigel. Forgive me. <laughs> forgive me, Nigel, for I have sinned. That's exactly. Because you cross yourself with a Hershey bar. No. Yeah, they do. Hershey I do want. Yeah, they do want Nigel back on on this podcast as well. We we so we you know we we come up with a topic for conspiracy skeptic and then bat it around for about a year and a half and then. Yeah, right. when are you gonna have the Betty and Barney Hill thing? God, yeah, I know. That's it's, you know, it's my best friend, and he's like, he he's he's like everything has to be absolutely perfect, you know, because he's he's very much into um, anybody else that does anything on Betty and Barney Hill. He will I, not maliciously, but he'll just jump in there and go, "Well, you've got these twelve facts wrong." <laughs> so. so you know, he's done it to Brian Dunning and Robert Schaefer and stuff. You know, the, the and but again, not not mean or malicious or anything like that. But just you know, you've got these twelve. Fa- so he just wants to make sure he gets absolutely nothing wrong. Which you know, in a in a podcast, anything that's spoken, you're gonna misspeak, and you're just. I'm wrong. sure I've made half a dozen mistakes. But yeah, I mean, this people... being a skeptic show, I don't think anyone's going to point them out. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean, you, you, you make corrections on your show all the time. Like, yeah, and you make some, like, when, on your podcast, when you make some errors, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I don't really know, the, you know, even one-tenth of what he's even talking about, but that sounds like a real bonehead error he made, and and, and then someone sort of corrected you on it, and, and you're not, like, all, like, well, you're Damn just... You. Like, Damn so, you to hell! Asshole, <laughs> stop listening to my podcast. Like, you're not like that. You're just like, okay, you know, you're just very matter of fact. And like, oh, yeah, okay, right. No, you're right. I, you know, I got these two things reversed. And yeah, yeah, so. Yep. Yeah. It happens. It does. It Deal does. With it. it does happen. All right. Uh, but if you don't see Stuart at anything and you still have some money, uh, then uh, Cognitive Dissonance, that's a good that's a good podcast to make a uh, small contribution to uh, Monster Talk. That's another one. They always need money for their uh, transcript thingy, and uh, th- those those would be my my ideas of uh, of awesome podcasts to donate money to. Because what am I? What am I, Stuart? I'm the the conspiracy skeptic. No, I'm the podcast. I'm the podcast doesn't want anything. Oh yeah, yeah. That that okay. You are the podcast that doesn't want anything. I don't want anything. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, August, I'm going to 
I'm going to be in Poland and Germany in the last half of August. A co-worker is getting married in Poland, so I'm going to be in the wedding party. And, um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I get, I get to wear a cape. This is part of the traditional Polish wedding garb, a cape. Yeah. I'm quite excited because it's like, like when does a non-crazy adult male get to wear a cape? When he's in a movie, that's Except, superheroes. <laughs> that's about it, right? So it's like it's one of the few chances in life I ever get to just, you know, yeah, it's a cape, whatever. I'm in Poland at a wedding. <laughs> Deal with it, you know, that kind of thing. So that'd be pretty good. And then uh, I'm gonna go to Frankfurt, Germany after the wedding because uh, I'm boring, and Frankfurt seems like the greatest place on earth, just like bankers and stuff. Okay. Yeah, I'll be I'll be you know cashing my paycheck from the the uh, the Illuminati. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, picking that up, paying a few calls to to my to my financiers. I'm still waiting for my NASA paycheck to come. <laughs> you have gotten NASA paychecks though, haven't you? No. No. Okay. I thought you did uh-huh. some things for NASA from time to time. I I have a grant um from that is paid that. The money comes from NASA, but it goes to the university, and then the university pays me. Oh, okay. But I have never gotten a direct NASA check. You know, even if you do work for NASA kind of stuff, like um, I was on two different grant review panels, and that's uh, about really close to NASA kind of stuff, but that is contracted out to other companies. I mean, it's it's the government. You can't work for the government. You have to work through a subcontractor through a subcontractor that works through a subcontractor that works through a subcontractor because you have to have all of those stupid, stupid, stupid layers of bureaucracy. Right. Well, I mean, one of my dad's wife, you know, she's a researcher at, uh, at McGill, and she got like a million-dollar grant to study something. But, right, they don't give you the million dollars, and then you take off for the Bahamas that I never heard of. They give it to your university, and the university takes like 90% yeah. and says... yeah. Now, just, you know, use our labs and our grad students and stuff like that. And, and you know, here's your 10% and to, for pay your salary and, you know, expenses and paper clips. Yeah, I, that's something that I don't think people realize is that you know, these people, these poli- you know, politicians, for example, quote, like, oh, this person got $2 million to study golf strokes and whether right. a five degree temperature change will affect golf strokes and it's like no they didn't they got the money and they probably wrote that as their title so it would be catchy but it was actually about you know, the physics of air resistance with temperature changes and evaporation and stuff and they get very little of that money so i'm opening right now um, a grant that I wrote um, to NASA, the total budget over three years is $303,000. My salary over three years from that $303,000 totals $81,000. $30,000, actually, no, $40,000 is for, a, uh, for two undergrads, so less than half of the money actually goes to salary most of it goes to university overhead exactly yeah it's it's crazy and we're actually really low in terms of overhead 
<laughs> All right then. Okay, so I that was a fun side rant. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. Yeah. All right. Thanks again for coming on and keeping us up to date about what uh, what's going on in uh, Universe Stewart. Sure. Happy to be on once a year so, or more if there's more stuff. Great. Thanks, Stuart. Okay, I'll let you go then. All right. Talk with you later. All right. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Reaching for the skies And all too soon I jump the moon and fly